loving God, Lord Jesus Christ, may we long to see you, and in seeing you, may we love you, and in loving you, may we share that love with neighbor far and near. Amen. This week, a small posse of us from All Saints had the privilege of attending an iftar dinner at City Hall at the invitation of the Islamic Speakers Bureau of Atlanta. You may well know that iftar dinners are the feasts that observant Muslims share after sundown during the month of Ramadan. As the evening went on and we were further educated about the holy season being observed by our Muslim brothers and sisters, it became clear to the Episcopalians among us that our rather measly marking of Lent was something of a poor relation by comparison. Giving up a little chocolate here or abstaining from alcohol there isn't quite in the same league as fasting from all food and drink for 30 days straight between sunrise and sunset. Perhaps we'll try harder on our piety next year. It struck me, though, sitting there that evening, how much you and I might learn from Muslim practices of faith. Ramadan's threefold fast of mercy, forgiveness, and emancipation, ten days each in turn, that focus mind and heart on the human need to surrender to the divine life, echoes with the second pillar of Islam, Salat, that requires Muslims to pray five times each day, wherever they are, however they are able. Much like the early Christian hours, the seven times of prayer a day from Matins to Compline, now really only maintained in full by monastic communities, this practice of moving through the rise and fall of the sun with prayer is one that seeks to focus the heart on a divine reality that needs attending to in order to become more visible to us. A pattern of daily living that feels like a way of life from another age where the rhythm of life was set in its place by the movement of the human soul to its ultimate origins. A time when we had time an age when we had space to mature, to be followers of Jesus, as the great German theologian Dietrich Bonhoeffer calls, as people come of age. It is not that our more visibly prayerful Muslim brothers and sisters are more spiritually mature than we are, necessarily. But could it be that in looking at their life of faith, we find an invitation to deepen our own. Depth requires tension. Growth is fed by dissonance just enough to want to dig below the beauties of being a liturgical church and start to see how we can experience that dissonance on a weekly basis as our readings from Scripture set up contrasting visions of the world and our experience of God within it. Consider the contrast that our two presentations of Christ 
offer us in our scriptures this morning between the personal and intimate meeting of a healing Savior in the Gospel of John and the cosmic and universal vision of the Lamb seated on the throne in the book of Revelation. Here we see God as both very close and utterly beyond us, known in our innermost being and coming in clouds descending to set the whole world to rights. I wonder, where is it that you see Jesus most readily? Perhaps you see Jesus most as the one who is among the sick and the suffering by the pools of Bethesda and the man whom we read in John's gospel has been ill for 38 38 years, nearly four decades, unable to attain the healing he desired. How easy it would have been for him to dismiss the possibility that there existed a living and loving God And how often it is that the people around us, perhaps even we ourselves, give up on God because life just seems to have dealt us too difficult a hand. Yet somehow, this man, lying by the pools while others push forward ahead of him, has remained open receptive enough to the presence of grace that he is able to see Jesus for who he is as he passes by that day at the Sheep Gate in Jerusalem. I wonder where your life longs for healing. There is no promise of miracles, but there is the hope of strength for the journey a holy presence in our lives that might keep us pressing on beyond our temptations to give in or give up on God. How might your life of prayer, your life of remaining still enough to hear the voice of God whisper into your being, open up new vistas in your heart? Could this be the time when you are called to wait on the presence of of grace to enter your daily living. Perhaps, though, your passions are being stirred by another dimension of the Christ, and the promise of a new Jerusalem, of a world restored by God, is where your heart calls you to find new life. Is John's vision of the city with no need for the sun or moon to shine upon it, whose gates are never shut and whose streets have flowing through the middle of them the river of the water of life, and whose trees bear leaves for the healing of the nations. Is that a vision that you desire for our own place and time, so much so that it drives all that you seek to be and to work for? If it is that call to seek justice and peace for all peoples that stirs your heart, and urges you to press on, then how might you find that hunger for a better world be fed by coming to know more deeply the Prince of Peace who sets the prisoner free and gives sight to the blind? I can recall with clarity how my own sense of who Jesus is 
was opened up in vivid new ways the first time I came across liberation theology about 20 years ago. For years, I suppose my Jesus had been vaguely English up to that point. A kind of good-mannered English gentleman, meek and mild. And then I read Gustavo Guitarera's seminal work, A Theology of Liberation. And I heard for the first time about God's preferential option for the poor and the Savior on the underside of history. This Jesus was turning the world on its head. And all of a sudden, knowing this Jesus didn't seem irrelevant, it seemed essential. From there, I discovered other branches of this liberative movement, black theology and feminist theology, and and where I made my own intellectual home, post-colonial theology, that helped me see that every time I thought I'd gotten closer to this Jesus, I thought I knew the figure would slip and shift and complexify. As my beloved predecessor here at All Saints, Harry Pritchard, used to preach, God is a surprise. If reading the Bible every week as we do in our worship offers anything to us, at the least it constitutes a reminder that the word about God we hear in the Scriptures is not one thing, but many. John's cosmic Christ that we see today in Revelation is so very different to the Jesus we meet in the Gospel of John by the pools of Bethesda, And John's word made flesh is distinctive to Jesus in Luke or in Matthew or in Mark, let alone in the non-canonical Gospels that never made it to the New Testament. Jesus is a myriad of names and faces, an untellable number of epiphanies where we are met by a mystery that always holds the promise of taking us deeper into a truth we can never reach the limit of. So might this be a season for you to see Jesus afresh? Might this creative tension between the God in Christ who is both personal and very close and the one bringing about a new heaven and a new earth become a space for you to grow within? As the weeks of summer begin and we make our way near and far, I invite you to look for Jesus however and whenever you can find him. Look for Christ wherever she may be, in the face of friend and stranger, pressing your feet into the warm earth and in the struggle for justice and in the beauty of this fragile earth, our island home. Look for Jesus as an ever greater complexity, that in drawing closer you might see the strangeness and the wonder and the multiplicity of God all around you. For you and I are loved and forgiven and restored and renewed and set free by a mystery that will never let us go. Seek the one who already seeks you. Look for Jesus, and in seeing the Christ, you might find yourself.